once said, networking is not collecting contacts, networking is about planting relations. Hello everyone and welcome to Nerdy Optometrist. Before we begin this episode, I would just like to remind everyone that please stay safe, wash your hands and remember we are all in this together. As I mentioned about my quote earlier, the importance of networking, our guest for today has set an example how important and amazing networking can be. She's someone who has her own experience and achievements, but she was kind enough to reach out to me just to give a feedback about how my podcast was doing. Surprising enough, when I looked at her achievements, I was inspired. I'm really happy to share my guest for today, Dr. Arti Karta, who started her journey in optometry in 1998. She moved ahead to complete her PhD from Australia, from Queensland University of Technology, and currently is pursuing her postdoctoral research fellowship at John Hopkins School of Medicine. Thank you, Dr. Arti, for reaching out to us and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ukti. Thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, the time is not good, but I hope everybody, you know, stay healthy and stay safe. Absolutely. I hope this podcast would help them with some time of learning, inspiring right. and, you know, so true. And, you know, get going during this hard time. So, Dr. Arti, I have always asked this to everyone. Uh, how did you start your journey in optometry? How did optometry uh, come into your life? Um, it's, it's not a straightforward thing, actually. Uh, I will tell you how it happened. So um, after I finished my uh, uh, high school um, and then, you know, the right. plus two and everything, um, I wanted to actually pursue um, English, like English literature. Mm -hmm. That was my interest. Um, it is mainly because my father is a professor of English and he had this huge fan following. Like, you know, his students admired him like so much. And I grew up watching right. that, you know, even after classes, they would come and meet him. And then even when they have moved on with different things in their life, mm -hmm. they would come back to see him. So, you know, like watching all that. And I have like my family uh, is full of academic uh, people. So my aunts from both sides, uh, mom's side and dad's side, they were mm -hmm. all academics. So um, I was like, you know, pretty sure that, okay, I wanted to get into teaching. And then because of my father, I wanted to get into English. Um, and then, you know, somehow, like, I scored very well in science and math, too. So my father was, you know, kind of like, okay, I mean, English, probably like, you know, I mean, I'm sure you can develop on the side. But then, you know, why don't you actually, like, you know, go into a science career? Like, you know, because I think, you know, you have some future in that, too. Mm -hmm. Why don't you try that? And then I got into optometry. Uh, I got to know about it through my uncle. Like, you know, right. he is the one who recommended this uh, field to me. And I didn't know anything mm -hmm. about it till then. So strangely, <laughs> like, you know, when they had this, uh, you know, call for applications, it was the last day. Like, you know, BITS had this application closing like tomorrow. And then you won't believe somebody actually took my application by plane and then delivered it to you know Pilani Amazing. like directly so we we were like running out of time I mean so I right. think I was meant to be here you know that's what I would take it as because you know when I went for the uh, entrance I mean I was like praying that oh my god I mean now I have to move out of my hometown like you know I have to stay away from my parents like you know I don't want to do this but you know I got like the fourth rank in the entrance I was like there's no right, way back off now you know so I didn't have any <laughs> So I was meant to be here. I mean, and I, I don't regret Wonderful. it one bit. But, you know, it's the story, like how I got here is very, very strange. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting. I think it's so funny. I asked this question to all my guests for the same right. reason. 
because optometry is not regulated and i think when we started like you me and few of my guests it wasn't that right. well known people knew something of this exist but there was not right. awareness and it is so funny how everyone bumped into this beautiful right. profession realized the potential and the growth and the effort and things you can bring to grow Absolutely. this profession and have right. excelled so i'm sure just like uh, everyone your story is also <laughs> like really interesting to have just have someone fly your application to the Seriously, yeah. and i'm so glad that <laughs> yeah. happened i'm so Me glad too. That like i'm very happy too that it happened so now i can't think about it any other way Absolutely. So tell me about how did Australia happen? How did you decide to, you know, do your PhD? Because I know you did your MPhil that we discussed offline right. about how you completed your undergrad, you did your MPhil from Sankara Nitralaya and then how did you decided to pursue your PhD in Australia? Um so when I was at SN um I was working um uh, you know basically like when you start off, you know, you work in all departments, but then right. I had my i said on low vision from the beginning so mm-hmm. when i was like uh, applying for mphil um you know i wanted to take up low vision there so mm-hmm. everybody was you know very uh, like doubtful they were you know like are you sure you want to go into low vision because why right. i mean like you know you have this they had like a very good cornea setup you know abrometer and everything um happening there so so much of research was happening in many other uh, departments and uh, so they were you know not sure you know whether i w- i was thinking about it or not but then i was i was very sure that i wanted to go into low vision and at that time our head of the department was uh, you know mr krishna kumar he is he is the yes. principal now um, right so um he was he was very supportive low vision is one of his uh, you know areas of interest as well so when i mm-hmm. mentioned that i wanted to go into low vision he was very very supportive and uh, with that i started with that area so and obviously when you when you get into um, an area and you start reading more about it you know you develop you know like some interest in a particular uh, topic and right. uh, so i was reading more about reading actually reading performance and you know um, how mm-hmm. to measure that and things like that so um, i specifically went into uh, one of the authors and she became mm-hmm. my mentor la- uh, later um she was jan lavi kitchen i mean who made the bailey lavi chart so you know oh, she was she was one of the designers of bailey lavi chart so that's the lavi um so uh, her papers were like of great interest to me and i used to like put it up on the board like you know so that i can see it every day and you know the way that she came up about uh, how to prescribe magnification and all those aspects where it was so chaotic like nobody would tell you like you know how do you determine like what is the magnification right. but she had a method to it like to the chaos so i was like totally in admiration of her work and right. um, it so happened that when i was working there um you know i used to be involved in uh, the newsletter like i was one of the co-editors of the new uh, alumni newsletter so mm-hmm. uh, i used to like you know collect articles from different people like i used to approach people for getting articles for the newsletter right. and things so at that time the director of neuro ophthalmology was dr navin jaykumar in mm-hmm. sn and uh he used to write articles for us and he used to be like teaching us and uh you know like had great discussions with him 
So one of these discussions at one point, uh, we were talking about, you know, where uh, everything is going and optometry and all that. So he suggested, okay, so why don't you have an international conference? Uh, you know, why don't you call people like Borish, you know, like you have right. you're reading textbooks about him. You know, he's one of the, like, you know, nobody in optometry would, you know, ask who's Borish, right? I mean, like, absolutely. so he yeah. was like, call people at that level you know, who is the, mm-hmm. you know, be all and end all of optometry and then have right. a conference, you know, like, ha- why don't you do that? I mean, if there is any place that can do this, that's elite school because, you know, of, of how it all began. So why don't right. you think about that? So I, you know, like a good messenger, I took this to, uh, you know, the uh, head of the department. And um, at that time, he became the principal, actually. So um, he was he was like really interested in all good ideas. He was a very uh, motivating, you know, uh, leader. So right. I, I took it to him and, uh, <laughs> you know, I was like, you know, uh, hey, we discussed about this and there was a suggestion about this. Why can't we do this? And he immediately said, OK, why, yes, we should do it. And then that's how the, you know, the Elite School of Optometry International Vision Science and Optometry Conference evoke. Uh, that right. still happens. Um, you know, even like this year, it's so th- that's how yes. it came up. Then what I did was, you know, there was a huge low vision uh, session for that conference. Um, and then we had invited uh, uh, Jan Lavi Kitchen also for the conference, actually. So I met up with her and obviously like you know, immediately I, I knew like what I was going to do next. You know, so I applied and she was in Australia. She was in Queensland University right. of Technology and uh, it went from there. So there I was, you know, starting my PhD there. So it wasn't, you know. (laughs) Wonderful. Mm -hmm. I actually have two questions based on, you know, everything you uh, just shared. One thing is, I I actually had a similar conversation in my previous Uh podcast with Dr. Raswana that how, you know, these researchers who are writing amazing papers or amazing books that we read every day has influenced and curved like people's life in optometry. My question is, how easy or difficult it was to kind of get response from these uh, you know authors or researchers because I know Mm -hmm. people are hesitant but based on my experience the minute you reach out to them they are amazing at responding so I want to know how was it for you was it difficult to you know approach these people and get the response or was it just a cakewalk all you had to do is just knock the door and you know wait for an answer um, yeah, that's a very good question, actually. So I can answer it much better now. Uh, I mean, if you had asked me that time, I would, have, you know, share the same thing that you said, because, you know, it's a bit intimidating to approach them in the beginning, but, you know, especially like somebody sitting in another country, like you don't know. Uh, you are like, I mean, right. what should I write? I mean, would it come across like I know anything about this area? Like, would I say something like totally blunder? Um, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. So you 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 should be very Absolutely. careful, right? So. I mean, what I have seen is that, like, you know, now looking at it from the other side, like when you have seen some students whom you have guided, and then now you have seen both sides, what I think is that, you know, it is both ways. It's important, like, uh, for the mentor also to have somebody who is really interested, like motivated to work with them as you are thinking that, you know, you have to have a mentor who is really interested in you. So it's like a mutual thing. So they are also very open to getting, um, you know, questions from people who have read your work and then who are very passionate about what you're doing, who share, you know, your ideas and who can take it forward. Yeah, equal interest, actually. So um, I have never seen like there is a problem there then, like once you just, you know, introduce and 
tell, okay, why you're writing. And I mean, it shouldn't be like a blanket email, like, you know, to everybody you send, like, I'm interested. I mean, like, you have to obviously mention, like, why you're interested and that you have, you know, definitely read their work and things like that. But after that, I mean, they are very open, like, you get a reply, like, within a few hours. I mean, actually, two a day. Like, you know, within, uh, you know, two to 24 hours is like, you know, the ring. (laughs) Depending on which time (laughs) zone they are in, actually. But otherwise, it's it's very, very quick. So go for it. (laughs) Right. I actually would agree that there is a very fine line in how you approach people. I have seen that some people would be, uh, as you correctly mentioned, don't put out a cookie cutter email that, you know, you just copy paste something from online and just throw it there. These people Mm -hmm. know what it is when you're actually interested versus you're just trying to get their attention and do your research. Just do not go saying, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, help me. You know, (laughs) you need to be very specific, do your background research and then ask questions. Then the person would be interested as well. Just don't go saying, I don't know what to do. Just walk me through the path so I completely agree on that and I would take that a very good message and when you mentioned the second question that I I wanted to ask was how easy or difficult it was to you know approach and develop this whole ego conference which is a huge Mm -hmm. thing right now but at that point being a student I'm sure you had a lot of uh, fear anxiety how did you overcome uh through this whole process of, you know, initiating something that you would like to um, share with So like I said, actually, uh, you know, my main thing, like, you know, the main thing that I did, my contribution was actually to take the message from Dr. Naveen Jaikumar to, uh, you know, the principal. So that was the main thing. I mean, that yeah. was the starting point. And then if it had been like, you know, I mean, people can have, it could have gone wrong in many ways, right? I mean, they could have just said like, dispose the idea, like, are you kidding? Right. You know, what are you thinking? Like, what have you been smoking? You know, things right. like that. But then instead <laughs> of that, like, you know, I mean, it was a wonderful team. So there was the principal, uh, you know, um, Dr. Krishna Kumar. And then there was uh, Dr. Um, Bharadarajan who joined uh, elite school at Mm -hmm. that time. And then we had a great team, like who were very enthusiastic about something like that coming up. So it was from then on, it was not just me. I mean, I was I was part of it. I was highly, uh, you know, thrilled that, you know, it is going forward. But then after that, it was a team like we immediately formed like an organizing team and there was a scientific team. And then, you know, it was just writing down like the names of people whom we wanted to call. So because it was the first time we we were like, I mean, we wanted to actually call everybody. You know, we were like, we can't omit everybody because this person has done this. You know, the other person like we have to ask everybody. Right. So we went like all out and about, you know, so it was a great right. time. I mean, it is one of the best times still, like I, I think about in my life, actually. So I'm so glad right. that it went ahead and it happened. And then I'm so glad it's still happening. So, you know, like it, it yeah, absolutely. And, you know, without any uh, lesser spirit, it's still going on. Actually, I have to mention this, that I have attended one of the EOC sessions, I think if I'm not wrong, in 2015. And the best thing I like about this is, of course, you get like people from all around the world, you get the exposure and at least that first dialogue that you you know you right. can start with uh with these people who might you might you might have just read papers or just read books and seen them their names yeah. but seeing them right, exactly. face to face is is amazing yeah but the 
The second thing which Evoke does, which I personally adore and respect is, apart from this being an entire uh, academic conference with all the research given equal importance, it pulls in a lot of Indian tradition they are out there as well. So I've mm-hmm. seen this good blend of research and academics and you have the whole day with sessions going on back to back. Parallelly, you also have an evening with light uh, entertainment, right. which takes care and shares the Indian culture. So I right. think Evoke, SN, you, all the team together have done a wonderful job in putting this conference together. So. Absolutely. So it's like, yeah, you cannot like, there is nothing parallel to that, actually, because it is like, you know, meeting all the people whom you wanted to meet in your own comfort zone. There is nothing like right. it, actually. So because if you move out and, you know, you're talking to uh, like people outside, like India, when you get back, uh, I mean, when you are in their country or anything, I mean, you are actually moving out. You're not in your comfort zone. I mean, it's away from your culture, everything. Right. But this right. is, you know, before that, like it's your best chance to meet with them. They're all walking textbooks actually i mean if you want to think about exactly. it exactly like you know, yeah you're like i mean which chapter should i actually think about you know like start with right. you know that kind of thing so it's it's amazing i think there's nothing parallel to it I would really like to thank you for being the messenger and you know starting this whole conference I think it was fabulous. Now coming back to your journey from PhD currently you are in United States. You're pursuing your postdoctoral fellowship at, at John Hopkins School of Medicine which is another great institute where you know people have seen wonderful research happening. So from Australia to united states how was that journey how difficult it was what were your uh, how did all that happen okay so this is this is like you know the twist in the story actually <laughs> this is where it all starts <laughs> yeah um so what happened was uh, i mean when i actually started out for my phd i had uh, you know i i hadn't like set my mind like okay i'm not going to come back to india my my thought was always like i wanted to come back at some time Uh, I mean, in the sense, like, I want to go back at some time. I'm still talking like I'm in India. But anyways, so um, <laughs> that that was my idea, actually. So it so happened that, you know, over a period of time, like, you know, things change. Um, you know, right. like, there have been, like, you know, major events in my life at that time on my personal side. So mm-hmm. um, it, it made me change my decisions, like, over a, a long period. Because I got married in 2008. At that time, my husband was working here. So, um, you know, like, between Australia and the U.S., it was, like, about 14-hour time, you know, difference. difference so we, right. I was, like, there for uh, 18 more months after I got married. So it was crazy. Like, you know, to manage that kind of long-distance relationship, it's crazy. Like, it wouldn't nice. work out. So I had to think about some practical, you know, things to do. So I was like, okay, I mean, let me wind this up. I have to finish up my project and then I'm going to uh, move to the US and then think about like the next step, you know. But I right. hadn't like planned what the next step was. But I, because I wanted to really give some time to this uh, mm-hmm. because you know, like we had like two weeks break for our wedding. And then it was so funny that we went to Dubai together and then he went to US like in one direction and I took a flight to Australia in the completely opposite direction. A flight <laughs> to like, you know, in adjacent, uh, uh, what is that? Base. So it was right. crazy. I was like, and then, you know, I was talking to people sitting next to me in the flight and uh, they were like, you know, I had this um, Mandy and all that in my hand. So they were like, where are you coming from? What festival is it? I'm like, no, I actually got married. And I was like in my head thinking, did I really get married? I mean, like it was like, <laughs> Yeah. it was crazy yeah. I was like I mean that is where you know you have to make some decisions like I mean it's very important to move ahead in your career but then there are some other things in your life that you know need some 
uh, priorities as well. So I had to Absolutely. like there i mean even though it was probably like i don't know i mean i i don't know even if i you ask me now whether that was the right way to go i don't know i mean you had to just make the decision and go with it so there is no Absolutely. right or wrong there so i moved here yeah. so that's how it happened and then when i moved mm-hmm. here i wasn't like straight away working because i came on a different visa here and it took mm-hmm. me a long time it this is a very different country it i mean everything is different when you come on a certain visa you're not allowed to work and then Absolutely, you know like yeah. things like that so right. um, i had to learn it all and then you know uh, it was a, a waiting game practically mm-hmm. so right. i did my waiting and then meanwhile you know things happened um but one thing i can say like you know all that time when i was waiting uh, one thing that took me here where i am now is persistence basically you know i mean i wasn't giving up sometimes right. i i couldn't see like the end of it i was like will i ever get back to what i wanted to really do i mean sometimes i had that question in my mind uh, i wasn't even sure um uh, but then right. like you know i i i was like very persistent that okay i mean i want to do this this is what i want to do and then there is um you know one thing that i had set my mind on was to actually apply to this place you know um at john hopkins right. at wilmarie institute uh, they have the best um, low vision department mm-hmm. so it's one of a kind and then i had my mindset like you know if i'm working on low vision this is the place to be in you know right uh, you know uh, they have the best you know like you have to learn from the best so um that was one thing you know i had i had my goal set but you know how long right. will i will it take me to reach that goal that something it was that uncertainty used to like you know bother me a lot at some point mm-hmm. um, right. you know but now i can say that you know it pays off you know i can say that because right. now that i've come through the other side um right. I, i i i would tell that yes go ahead you know persistence is what you know uh, got me right i actually would like to you know point out two very important life lessons from everything that you just shared mm-hmm. that whatever decisions we take in life especially being women where you know course right. of life will change with our private life you know having getting married or kids and so on and so forth do not lose your focus from what you want to do and it's never too late exactly. so you can always start wherever you want take your break take your time do not feel that it is the end and the second thing that i really loved what you said is aim for the best you don't want to just settle down or compromise just because it took longer or it might exactly. take longer than your initial goals were right. i feel the whole idea should be i want the best thing for my career or my goals let's see how that happens and do one small thing probably every single day to reach to that goals exactly it's like the small step absolutely you right. nailed it yeah <laughs> thank you so much for sharing those important insights because i'm sure i had the same issue when i moved to united states i never wanted to be here because i had the same feeling uh that there's so much to do in indian optometry mm-hmm. back home yeah and i was already working in teaching and pa- participating you know creating awareness so i was feeling i am leaving my mm-hmm. motherland just to be you know, get exactly. back and move here right but at the same point i had two things very clear one i had no idea what i want to do in united states but i wanted to do in something in optometry mm-hmm. second i wanted to go back and 
not go back physically but contribute in every possible way right so just keep your goals in mind and work towards it and i think destiny will show you the way absolutely yeah definitely so yeah sometimes i mean even this is not just about you and me like even people who have like reached you know very high positions you know women in different fields i mean it's something that is like you know pretty uh, much like spoken about and written down so it's it's like you know you can't have it all actually um and then it is that yes. you know like and that all what is that all is something that everybody defines for themselves i mean right uh, so based on that i mean it changes for every person i mean my all might be completely different from your all and you know like for somebody else it might be different but you know in the end it's it's what works for you and you know absolutely. don't feel guilty about whatever you want to do so yes absolutely now tell me about your life uh, and your current you know uh, experience that you are having with working and studying at john hopkins university so how was the process of apl- application because you did say you had a lot of struggle you know going mm-hmm. there and pursuing it right uh, we did briefly talk about it offline so if you can you know give more insights about it um sure so the process of application is you know basically uh, like you know you would see applications for postdoc position so you know it's it's based on that but then specifically there are certain positions that would sometimes uh, process a visa for you like you know uh, there are mm-hmm. two two types of visa basically that would work for this one is uh, h1b that's a work visa or um, mm-hmm. it's a j1 visa that is a you know research scholar visa so these are the two uh, types basically and it depends on the institution and the type of funding and everything that they could you know do this for you and over a period of time it has been very very hard getting a h1b or j1 like you know they have cut down considerably uh, yes. um so right. the amount of opportunities you have as an outsider with you know like without a proper visa is is a huge uh, obstacle that you have to uh, you know cross so um, yeah so um, it, it took me a while actually and then um, it took me a while to get a work permit here and mm-hmm. uh, so once i got it you know that was it like i have never stopped working so um right. so it it wasn't that hard after that it was mainly because of the immigration process like you know my uh, international yes. status that got in the way um but then once that was sorted i think that was that was it you know i i got uh, where i am wonderful and can you tell me a little more about the research that you're working on sure. right now because i know low vision is i feel one of the most uh, not famous or glamorous field of optometry right people talk about myopia contact lenses but mm-hmm. there's a huge need of an art to you know work and look into the low vision uh Uh, domain of optometry so yeah. can you talk a little more about your research sure um it is it is not famous for two reasons one is that it is extremely challenging like you know it it's it's very right. hard you know let's let's face it it's not like a very pleasant thing to uh, work with somebody who is extremely visually impaired and where you know like they have come uh from hearing like you know uh, they're helpless like you know nobody can do anything about it there's nothing to fix right. it but you can only like go about uh helping them by rehabilitation or you know by training them with the existing right. uh condition so you know it's it's like a very hard thing to explain first of all and then um 
uh, also like the other side of it is that it's not very lucrative. So in the right. time that you can see, like if it's a private practice, in the time that you can see a low vision patient, you can see probably like three other, uh, you know, types of patients. Like, you know, it takes right. a long time to evaluate them and come up with solutions that, uh, and it doesn't pay off like low vision devices are not covered by insurance. So, you know, things like that, there are a lot of uh, things in terms of, um, you know, um, money side, like financial aspects right. of it. So many people don't opt for it. Like when they are doing private practice and things like that, it is, it is not, uh, you know, a good option at all. But uh, right. even then when people do it, it's, it's not like a very systematic feel. It's very chaotic, mainly because, you know, right. uh, like you said, exactly like myopia or, you know, any other condition, it's like a condition specific research. You know, you are talking only about myopia, but then here right. there is nothing like, you know, one type of low vision, low vision is everything. And it's a, you know, very complex field. So, um, you know, there are very few people working in it and, uh, you know, but there is a lot of work being done in this area. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So what is your uh, area of research that you're working? You did mention you're working something in the reading aspect of low vision. Right. Uh, for children. Um, yes. So for my PhD, I work with children because um, in Essen, when I was working, um, I was seeing a lot of kids uh, with low vision right. there. Uh, that was, you know, in the Indian population, you have a lot of conditions uh, that starts like from very young age. Like you get a lot right. of star guards or, you know, um, the cone dystrophies and things like that. But then outside India, uh, so I wanted to work with children mainly because, you know, I saw a lot of patients and there was not much research done in children with low vision. Most of it was done Mm -hmm. in AMD and, you know, the older population. So I wanted to explore that area. So when I went to do my PhD, what I realized was that there is a big difference, like in terms of the kind of uh, children you see outside India, it's mostly uh, when they talk about low vision, they come with multiple disabilities. There is more of um, cerebral palsy or Down syndrome mm-hmm. and things like that, not just low vision. Um, so mm-hmm. th- there is like a lot of coexisting conditions uh, with these children. So the conditions that have very, I mean, only low vision is not very common. Right. Um, so even then, I mean, I was set to work with this. So I went ahead with doing my PhD in reading because you know, reading is something that is very, uh, you know, relevant to uh, kids when they go to school. So in Australia, right. how they work is that um, in Australia and for the rest of the Western world, the children, actually, the education is integrated. They don't go to special schools or, you know, they don't have uh, different classrooms and things. Right. Like they go to the same classroom and then they have teachers for the visually impaired. So there are designated people working with these children in the same classroom. Mm-hmm to help them with mm-hmm. the accommodations. So that's how it works. Um, so right. um, it was really interesting. So I was working with reading uh, during my PhD. And uh, mm-hmm. in, in Queensland, there is a, a pediatric low vision clinic, which is also one of a kind because it is uh, only pediatric patients that they see there. Uh, there are not many clinics like that in the world because after I finished my PhD, I was looking for something very similar in, in U.S., mm-hmm. I couldn't find like, a, you know, like a pediatric uh, population, uh, like, you know, a clinic dedicated right. to the pediatric population because the uh, numbers are very less compared to the adults. So there are very few people working in that area. Um, so once I finished my PhD, um, uh, you know, I was I was not working on reading anymore. Right now, um, my postdoc research is about functional vision assessment. So mm-hmm. that is not about reading, but uh, uh, because in this population that I'm working with, they don't have mm-hmm. any 
uh, form perception they can't see any shapes and things like that forget letters because it's like the right. extreme, the lower end of the spectrum a very very profound visual impairment so reading is not a task that they would even think about um, because mm-hmm. they're visually poor so right now what we are trying to do is you know when you can't measure you know their letter acuity or you know like what do you do in the right. clinic you know counting fingers is not an applicable solution because you know it's not controlled you know you don't know right. the contrast you, you can't calibrate it so yeah there's um, no standardization in finger exactly. counting or yeah right. so once you can't measure it with uh, you know the bailey lavy chart then what do you do you know even at one right. meter they can't read the top line then what can you do so there are ways to go about it you know one way to do it is by you know measuring how they perform their daily activities like performance measures um and mm-hmm. it is it is a very uh, extended calibration process for that and that's what i'm working on right now so um we are doing a test we are developing a test um which is uh, using virtual reality as a platform and mm-hmm. i'm doing with this with my mentor um his name is Jilan Danieli um so mm-hmm. with Dr. Jilan Danieli we are working with um uh, this test and we are trying to validate this test for uh, this population which is called ultra low vision which is very very low vision um mm-hmm. and um, we have we have so far tested about 60 uh, people and we need like lot wow. more people to validate it a larger population so but once validated it is a very useful test you know you can um, you can measure their functional vision before like suppose they are going on for a clinical trial um mm-hmm. you know like they're getting one of the gene therapies or stem cell or um you know like a prosthesis or anything like that we now right. have measure that we can do before the treatment and then we can repeat it after the treatment so that we know because you know most of these people even after treatment they won't be able to immediately read letters you know their vision is not right. going to restore to that extent like even right. if you like uh, for example you take you know, you know retinal prosthesis like the bionic eye so right. they were before and after getting the bionic eye they they uh, land up in the ultra low vision range so right. how do you measure their vision like you know you can't make them read letters but at the same time they have gained something and what is that something right. you know to quantify that you need a test so that's how it all started actually and then now this is what we are working on so we have like different phases of it and uh, right now we uh, we are almost like finishing up phase 1 and we are going to phase 2 and then the phase 3 as well wonderful i think it is so amazing to see how technology virtual reality and all those thing all the newer technologies are coming together to help optometry in every domain whether it was binocular vision low vision contact lenses teleoptometry i think it's fantastic to see how medicine and technology are collaborating for the future uh, treatments and the you know treating methods in eye care so i think thank you for working on it and i think i uh, wish you good luck for thank achieving you. and you know looking at that uh, spectrum of people who are usually might get neglected absolutely uh, so one last thing is i do know you are a mother as well so how do you manage your work life balance you know with having kids around how does that uh, what motivates you to manage everything together well yeah that's that's a question which is like uh, you know very important when you are living outside india i guess because uh, you know there i mean i have looked at this uh, once i had my daughter uh, she's my uh, older one 
So mm-hmm. once I had her, that is when I started thinking about it. Like, you know, I was thinking every day, like when I wake up, I think like, okay, what should I do now? Like, you know, what are the activities that I have to do? You know, I ha- how can I keep her engaged? You know, what food should I give her? You know, things like that. And then I was thinking also like, you know, we when we grew up, like, you know, we had cousins, you know, we had people in the family who are younger than us. Or, you know, like right. when even when you uh, grew up, like you have seen lots of kids around. But then you have never heard like people investing a lot of time thinking about how to you know keep the kid engaged like you know it's it's not a topic that people discuss back there children somehow grow up you know they out of a you know like they you see them being born and then out of the blue like they are in college like in between the stages you never hear about parents talking about it like in great extent uh because you know it's like and actually i think it so happens that you know it's a whole village that raises the kid that's how it's supposed right. to be but once you <laughs> yes. come here like you know now you're by yourself it's a different country like you don't have your family or immediate uh, you know relatives close by and that is when you actually start to think about this whole raising a kid issue and it becomes like a task then you know like then you start right. thinking about it so it's a very different experience uh, because you can like imagine, you know, I, I wanted to work with children even for my PhD. So I was very fond of kids. You know, I was like, okay, I mean, yes. I, I love, you know, pediatric population <laughs> until, you know, like when you yes. have a kid of your own, then the story actually changes. You know, you were like, oh my goodness, this is totally different. You know, it's a different game. Right. It's it's not a matter of whether you like kids or not at that point. It's It's a totally different area that you have never thought about before having a kid of your own. And thankfully, in my case, one thing that worked in my favor was that when I had my first child, I wasn't working then. So Mm -hmm. I had like some time in my hand and then I had like the entire first, you know, the formative years in her life, like first Mm -hmm. four to five years, I had you know, enough time to give her, like, you know, I had enough time to go to school, invest in all the activities, like, you know, participate in every single thing that she had to do. So, you know, I had it all, you know, like uh, proper, like I I could give that. I mean, it was not by choice, but then it worked that way so that, you know, I learned it that way. So, but you know, with the second one, like I, I had already started working, so it's completely different. But if I hadn't had that experience with the first one, I'm not sure like how I would have managed, you know, working with the first child. I mean, now thinking back about yeah. it, I wouldn't have it any other way because it's a full-time job, actually. I mean, I Absolutely. don't know how people do it. I mean, it's, I mean, if you want to do it like the way it's supposed to be, but then like, you know, here, I mean, of all the countries in the world, US has like the lowest of maternity leave I think like it's about six weeks or something so it hardly gives you anything so you are totally like then leaving your child in somebody else's hands and then I'm not judging like it it happens like I have done it with my second one so I'm not judging like which way is right or wrong but you know that's how things happen so everybody has to like do it the way it works for them and either ways it's fine in the end they turn out to be fine because I have one which was developed that way and one this way so I can easily say that I mean like it's I mean there's no best way right exactly you know whatever works and uh, everything has to in the grand scheme of things you know you have to make decisions based on what is available to you I mean you can't really you know go out of that and then think about okay this could have made this I mean who knows i mean we don't know that right so right, um, you know you strike a balance whatever with whatever you have available you strike a balance there and do the you know best you can and i think that will come out to be you know the best <laughs>
<laughs> wonderful thank you for sharing it's actually very important being a woman uh, and a mother where you know we all i think at some phase especially if you're from india you have that guilt trip of leaving your child alone and working and you know those those uh, in in head you have this thing you have to give attention because you do not have the support system you're looking for right. in yeah. united states or in any other country versus what you might have back in uh, back home but just believing that whatever system you choose is uh, right for you and for your kid i think it's the way out and not to have any regrets for the decisions you make absolutely so yeah i think that's the way to go and uh, thank you so much for uh, sharing all your life journey with us and the listeners i re- really appreciate you reaching out to me and sharing your journey thank you so much dr arthi for being part of this podcast Thank you so much Yukti. Good luck with everything and uh thank you. Thank you.